0: Hoping for just a quick intro this morning, and I'm apologizing right off the bat for any poor sound quality. A uh, few things going on in Malay right now, and um, one being that I am staying at my mum's looking after our combined four cats. <laughs> which I thought would be fantastic in my practice on the way to being a crazy cat lady, but instead um, it's more like one of those episodes of Hoarders where they just keep finding dead kittens everywhere because the people just could not sustain the 42 cats that they were looking after. In saying that, please do not assume that I have (laughs) as yet Rotled any of these cats or neglected them to death I have not but there is a big jump between two and four cats and I am learning that very quickly as somebody who spends my days perusing rescue sites this has been a rude awakening for me rude And on top of that, my mum will be coming home from hospital in about a week and I will also be her primary carer. So, look, if I have an aneurysm in the next couple of weeks and you never hear from me again, that's what has definitely killed me. I also want to apologise again for the sound quality in the interview that was recorded a couple of weeks ago um, in preparation for mum being out of action she although a drama teacher she's not a microphone aficionado and she was quite gesticular in her movements which led to much hitting of the mic and look after a while I just thought I'm gonna stop um, telling her off about that (laughs) just see what we can get and at the end Unless you get the music afterwards, it will end abruptly because mum started to tear up and just told me she did that kind of like cut symbol across the throat. She was like, nah, we're done. So I switched off quite quickly. The song of choice today, of course, this is an interview, so there was no chapter song allocated to this episode. I've decided to go with an Alanis Morissette track from Jagged Little Pill, the single best album of all time, just after Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, and then Frank. Okay, so the third best album of all time. So the song I have gone with is Hand in My Pocket. One of the best lines of my childhood is I'm brave but I'm chicken shit, I'm sick but I'm pretty, baby, etc. etc. Look, there's no way in hell I'm going to be able to give it the grunt that Alanis is known for and that, well, I have got the internal rage burning inside me but somehow that does not come out through my voice, I am but a light soprano, tragically. But I do love her. She is one of my favourite artists of all time. And unfortunately, throughout the book, I kept looking for places to fit her in. And there were a few. There's one chapter where it was a real toss up between "Ordinò" Alanis, obviously, and another song which ended up winning out. But I was devastated because she just didn't fit perfectly anywhere above other tracks. So I'm going to use her as much as I can as a replacement in these kind of interim episodes. So again, if you have Spotify Premium, this will automatically play at the end of this episode. And don't stress if you do not, because as always, I will put links to the YouTube song and, um, My playlist music and memoir playlist as well into the show notes. So, here we go. I hope you enjoy the ride. Oh, and five stars and fucking reviews. (laughs) Look, I've played nice, I've been kind up until this point, but I'm gonna start cracking skulls if I don't get more of them five stars coming in. Okay, so get your little fingers a wagon, wiggle it on over to the reviews section. Maybe your only digit is your big toe and it's just too hard. Use a nose. If you don't have a nose, if you are more of a Voldemort type creature, fine. I Then you get a pass. But even with only a big toe, you can still press the five stars. Okay. So that's what we're looking for today. <laughs> I love you all and I hope you enjoy. Bye. Well, once again, I am joined by Dr. Tina Moore,
1: my mother. <laughs> little bit of a shake of the head at that, but must I remind you that in my youth, when the home phone, the landline would ring and somebody would request Dr. Moore, you would say curtly, which one? Yeah, that was
2: fun. <laughs> I always enjoyed that. <laughs>
1: uh, things that embarrassed me so much as a child that you did the now feminist icon things. So... Well done to you. Anyway, we are back with my mum for chapter two. In my head, the flesh seems thicker is the title of this chapter. The soundtrack is Silverchair Anna's Song. And we are delving into the development or acknowledgement of my eating disorder. So after, I don't know, 13 years of being the fat friend, I eventually uh, successfully developed an eating disorder, resulting in my increased popularity, which is so gross. (laughs) I was suddenly hot enough to be noticed by the opposite sex without them being embarrassed to have been seen with me. Um, which of course led to my uh, deep resentment of them and very complicated ideas about men, boys, the beauty industry and my own self image. Yeah, I guess, you know, it was even confusing to myself when I was sent to a psychiatrist or a psychologist rather by my GP and that psychologist after a couple of sessions identified me with having an eating disorder. And I remember thinking, thankfully, somebody has named it and called it out because now I can't possibly continue on um, this path that was now incredibly exhausting. And it was just, um, it it was killing me but but it, but it also took me a, a while to wrap my head around it and i remember telling you what i had what i had been told that i had this eating disorder and um do you remember your reaction Mm-mm. Uh, you you said no you don't <laughs> i'm like oh the you know the the psychologist wants me to see an eating disorder specialist because she thinks i have anorexia no no you do not and and you know you said well i see you eat and you do and you did because i did eat um it a lot was chickpeas <laughs> lot of a lot of well it was ve- it was very much the same breakfast lunch and dinner almost every day and you know no carbs all of the things that we read in teen dream magazines dolly girlfriend all of these things that you learn about as a a high school kid that carbs are the devil you know egg whites are a a delicious food substitute (laughs) but anyway that's my ramblings of of that time what what do you remember of that kind of period of of Diagnosis or like late high school when I started to lose weight and manipulate my eating Um To me I remember it as sudden
2: Because you seem to lose all the weight in year 12 Mm. And year 12 is A year that In Victoria Certainly I hadn't come across it before where parents of year 12 students become totally obsessed with what their VCE students are doing Mm. and eating and whether they're partying. It seems like a really overreaction to the end of high school life. So I hadn't experienced anything comparable in Canada, I hadn't experienced anything comparable in the UK, but suddenly in Victoria, again because you were writing state exams and this thing called the ATAR score hovered over everybody, um, parents of year 12 children just became completely fixated on everything their children were doing.
1: Really? And, I didn't know this was going on. And
2: I refused to become part of that. Mm. But I had never made a huge deal of about what you were eating. And so I suppose I sort of, when you started to lose weight, also subconsciously made a decision not to make a huge deal of what you were not eating Mm. and um I really have a strong belief you don't comment on other people's food yeah I was raised with that so the fact that you were taking more care with your food than you had before was a positive step in terms of self-pride I suppose and the fact that you were You were dating from year 11, you had an active social life through all of secondary school. Mm. Um, By all outward signs, you would have been a normal adolescent whose social sphere was expanding and that you were enjoying it. You were going to a lot of parties, you had good friends, Mm. and they were friends that you sustained for many, many years. So. Um, I just assumed that when you were taking more care with your food, it had to do with the fact that you were um, s- starting to have boyfriends, not just group friends, mm. and that you were making the decision yourself.
1: Yeah. Right? Um, and, and, and when you say take more care, I want to clarify, like I was, I was cooking my own food a lot more. Yeah. It would have, it would have looked like I was taking more care in what I was putting in my body. I was eating a lot more vegetables and, um, and I mean, like that's how it begins. Like I, yeah. I remember like the, you got the CSIRO book
2: the diet plan so that was that would have been
1: uh low gi yeah yeah and look we are a family of round people we come from peasant crop like we hold on to whatever whatever. we need for winter (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whatever whatever passes our lips yeah. our body retains so it has never been easy for somebody in our family to lose weight mm. but we're always I was always playing playing uh, such a dangerous word um playing with dieting as I was growing up mm-hmm. you know that is sadly what a lot of teenage girls do but it wasn't really uh, that serious and till i remember you got that book and i kind of just stuck to it like a bible um because it lay out like each day what breakfast lunch and dinner and snacks and i can still remember like the snack was two you're allowed two snacks a day you're allowed one piece of fruit sorry two pieces of fruit and one dairy snack like a yogurt or something And so then I would start and then, you know, breakfast, lunch and dinner, you were allowed, I think, one like a tiny bit of carb within your breakfast or your lunch, nothing in dinner. Like it was all vegetables. So I don't want to get too detailed with it in case anybody, you know, latches on to these ideas. But basically I followed this Bible of telling me exactly how and what to eat every day and then like I became more and more afraid of the carb aspect so if it was saying one piece of toast with an egg for breakfast for example I would then start to weigh that piece of bread to make sure that it lined with whatever the book said and if it didn't then I'm like cutting off a piece of this tiny slice of bread and It just became more and more detailed and more and more obsessive and then if it was like you know I was allowed an apple allowed you know being such a dangerous word again um this is all anorexic language that I'm using and you know then I would make sure it was the smallest apple I could find you know Mm. or if it was the yogurt it wouldn't be like a nice jalma, full fat yogurt it would be it wouldn't even be low fat it would be the no fat vari- variation since my recovery i have tasted no fat yogurt once it is <laughs> so just dis- it is li- it is liquid chemical goop it is rancid i do not know like i looked for this was my treat of the day and it was so disgusting i think about that now i'm like holy fuck like how much do you have to manipulate your diet where a no fat yogurt is the highlight of your day and you know at the time as well all those biggest loser shows were on so similarly to all the naughties stars teaching me that you know (laughs) that that these tiny size zero frames were what um, celebrity and success looked like, which is what I wanted more than anything in this world. I, I was also like, we were watching The Biggest Loser five nights a week. Like that. Do you remember? No. You don't remember sitting down and watching that
2: show? I remember watching the first season and then, then that's all.
1: These people have never exercised suddenly working their asses off, you know, having thousand calorie diets like killing themselves for our entertainment and then walking out on stage and being praised for being a quarter of the person mm. physically that they mm. ever
2: were interesting that it's it has not uh, lasted mm. in the way other reality shows have lasted and uh, thank goodness for that
1: it was like the Wild West of reality TV. <laughs> God. Yeah, so, I mean, I remember um, I remember bringing you to... So I started seeing a, a counsellor that specialised, a psychologist that specialised in eating disorders. But at the same time, I started seeing a dietitian. She was the main sort of guide in my recovery i suppose um and i brought you along to a session once do you remember much of that i just remember blubbering through the whole thing (laughs) at least from my point of view that was the first time that i felt like you sort of had heard the depth of my self-loathing and kind of understood um that it was more than just um you know a, a, a diet fad or something like that yes because you would sit down
2: at the table and eat with us mm. you wouldn't necessarily eat what the rest of the family ate or what ben and i were eating or um but you um you you always had your salad you had you know variations on that and I didn't think it was that unusual for a teenage girl to be fussy about food at that point, especially since you were seeing people, Mm. you know, and you had uh, um, special boys in your life at that point. Special boys. (laughs) (laughs) And and, um, so it was part and parcel of, you know, being a 16, 17-year-old, I think. Mm. It was year 12 that I really noticed the huge, the biggest drop in weight loss because I don't think it was there in year 11, No. but um, there was so much going on. You were doing so many jobs at that point as well. You were doing before and after school care. Mm. Um, you were really, really busy. You were doing VCE. You were doing yoga. Uh, I was, um, you were running. I was you singing. I was, yeah. You were doing a lot of singing. Um, um, and I, I'm thinking of the time before you went to, to Melba. Yeah. But, um.
1: Melba is the university that I end up um, going to to study classical voice.
2: Yeah. And you were doing drama club. You were rehearsing. So your life was very, very full and on the move. Mm um in in that final year and you were never refusing food Mm. you were eating you know to my knowledge you know every day and you were eating healthy food I mean to be fair I mean the CSIRO diet is still one of the healthiest ones you can find you know in terms of uh, but um so if that was your guideline I probably and you had and I had known that was your guideline, I probably wouldn't have worried, you know, about that. Yeah. But um, you were obviously telling other stories to yourself, you know, well, the same, as, as well. I you guess. Know, at the same um, time.
1: Yeah. Like the main point that I want people to get out of this um, is that people really are so, uh, if they have never had an eating disorder, they really what will being around somebody with a, with an extreme version perhaps it can be so hard to understand and it really doesn't it's a mental illness first and foremost it is you can be you know i remember um denise saying to me my dietitian saying to me you know i have clients that are 100 kilos that are anorexic they came to me at or they started their eating disorder at 200 kilos you know you wouldn't look at somebody that's 100 kilos and automatically think oh they're anorexic they don't look like somebody like i say in the chapter on dr phil or you know one of Mm. these or oprah coming out onto the 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 stage with their bones jutting out the collarbones showing you know no emaciated but they are starving themselves. They live in a world of self-loathing and it and it is slowly killing their body. Mm. You know, these people still, you can be that size and still have your body shutting down. You can still lose your period. Your hair can be falling out. You're, you are developing osteoporosis. All of these really serious issues are going on. Um, and just because you don't look anorexic doesn't mean that you are not um suffering and mentally physically in all all kinds of ways so I was eating but it was but that yeah the the mental gymnastics that went into eating um anything was huge I was constantly calorie counting um I was constantly Uh, weighing up exercise versus what I was eating. If I knew I was going to go out for dinner with one of my special boys in my life, I wouldn't eat lunch that day. Stuff like that, you know, that I would just manipulate in order um, to still make my diet in inverted commas work. Um, I do remember
2: There was a stage, and I'm not sure whether it was that year or possibly the summer after or or a while later, but where you did develop a reluctance to go out to social occasions Mm. that you were invited to. So that was a point where I really did start to worry because that was so unlike you. Mm. And you had somewhere along the line decided that you would, prefer to be at home yeah. rather than go to a social engagement where there was going to be food, or yeah. that there might, uh, and possibly even drink, I'm not sure how, how that you know came into the picture, but um, that was a major concern when you started to weigh up the cost benefit, you know, of, uh, of going out versus staying in. Yeah. And the second one was when you started uh, crashing every afternoon.
1: When you say crashing, you mean with exhaustion. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it was, um, again, it was a worry because it was was the the year of uh, VCE exams, but you could barely get through the day without a nap. It just wasn't normal for somebody who... Well, I mean, I suppose it was you were up early, you were doing um, morning and evening jobs, you were involved in a number of of, um, clubs and activities. And so for a while it didn't seem that unusual that you were Mm. going to be tired as well. But then it really did become a pattern.
1: My memory of that time is just, like, how angry I was. Like, and... And, and also because your brain is telling you how awful, horrible, ugly, lazy, pathetic you are constantly. Um, I don't know. You feel angry. You feel depleted. You feel emotionally exhausted and your whole day is planned out around how you're going to fit your meals in and, um, and how you're gonna get away with those, with those meals and whatever, that any slight change, it, it completely throws everything out. And I remember just feeling like completely overwhelmed all of the time. And that's when I lost my tiny mind. And that's when you came home to this wall of uh, geography notes. <laughs> That I had written in um, gold and silver Posca pens all over my my room, I literally felt like the, like I'd lost. I had lost the plot.
2: I thought it was a great study strategy, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but
2: I certainly remember the anger. I was usually the. The uh, the, on the receiving end of that, so Sorry. you didn't really want any advice. You didn't want helpful direction. Mm. You didn't want suggestions. You didn't want questions. There was no safe ground, you know, for a while there. Um, Sorry, um, I love you. <laughs> um, Say it you back. <laughs> yes, of course I love you too. Thank you. But there was. <laughs> It was a, um, a time of walking on eggshells because there was nothing really you mm. could say that wasn't going to result in um, a minor explosion of
1: fury. Well, I'm very sorry. My brain was starving.
0: And that is what happens. and yeah.
1: yeah, and 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 it's it's you sort of mirror end up mirroring the voice in your head. Um and yeah, it is it's 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 uh it's a mess. And yeah, of course that comes out on the people that you love the most. Um especially mothers because you know that you That's have, what they're there for. You have to love me no matter what. <laughs> Sucker <laughs> But yeah, no, that um that <laughs> looking back at that like mental breakdown where I'm just scrolling over the walls and then you and Dad come into the room like oh, Wow This is this is beautiful and I'm just like rocking back and forth in a corner like Help And um yeah that 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 was an interesting Yeah, I think we were probably time. afraid of passing judgment. You trained us well. Wow well, <clears throat> and. Um, don't know really what to say to that. That's a bit <laughs> sad, but yeah, probably accurate as well. You were mentioning, just as we had, had a little break there, that I my reactions to friends letting me down or cancelling plans was very extreme. Um, and I think I'm still, I think I still struggle with that um can you just talk a little bit about what you remember from from that time well i i know
2: that um you would make plans with a friend and usually they were quite tentative and um one particular friend was always sort of non-committal about whether the plan you know whether it was going to come off or not and and what the plan would be or what you might do together. And I just remember how angry and disappointed and almost irrational you would get when Friday night rolled around and that friend wouldn't contact you. Mm. And there was no sort of appeasing you in terms of well something came up or you know it was just a tentative plan anyway or you know it's been a big year and there was very little room for forgiveness it was an all-consuming anger if you were let down in terms of a a plan to see someone you know on, on let's just call it a Friday night And it's not to say that you weren't quite busy, you know, in your Mm -hmm. life already. But I really don't think I understood whether it's the the person that was letting you down so much or was it just the fact that you had been let down again, you know, that was causing that degree of anger.
1: Well, this is disappointing to hear because... I feel like I had this conversation with my psychologist last week. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> you feel like as a person there are, there's a level of, of evolution that is guaranteed with age. <laughs> and then and then you write a book. <laughs> um yeah. I do this is something that that well, if I, if I talk about what my psychologist says, it's, it's about my sense of, um, e- external validation. Like I, like, I remember I, it's just a sense of rejection hmm. and, and that being that sense of rejection, meaning that I am, I don't know, invalid as a person or or unimportant or invisible or that person, Mm. whoever it is that cancelled plans, doesn't care about me when in actual fact has very little to do, if Mm. anything at all, about me. Um, And that is something I would really like to drill into my own brain because it causes me so much distress. And I don't – probably not as uh, – Yeah, probably just as much distress as I did in high school. Like that feeling of, of, it is a feeling of abandonment. Mm. And I think that has probably gotten worse over the years because now I have experienced more and more ab- what, you know, abandonment or loss or grief or whatever. And so rather than exposure therapy make is meant to make us stronger, somehow in my world... <laughs> It's like scraping at an open wound and um, that wound has been gaping for, I guess, 15, 20 years now. Mm. Mm. So if anyone could recommend um, a, a durable Band-Aid, that would be much appreciated. But in the meantime, I'll just, I'll just keep going to therapy. <laughs> Any final thoughts before we wrap this up?
2: Well I do apologize for saying no, you don't when you told me that you had anorexia because it was quite uh, the the visual sort of impressions that you go have of anorexia mm. were quite extreme in that time. Oh, yeah. And um, you, um, as I said, you shared three. Meals with us every day, so it didn't register in my mind as anorexia at all. And yeah,
1: and I actually yeah. like I and I do understand that. Like I really and I even understood it at the time, um, despite my brain bre- being broken and starving. Mm. Like and I I remember feeling I remember I remember because I remember being shocked when I heard it. Cause I'm like, well, I'm eating, you know, And mm. anorexic doesn't eat. Like mm. that's what I thought anorexia was, um, or, you know, disordered eating, they call it now, any kind of, you know, disordered eating. Um, but so I, I understood why you, you did say that. Um, but yeah, it is, it, the more that I sort of have learned about eating disorders myself and in my own experience it has so little to do with with physicality and what we see and what a person mm. consumes and so much more to do with the way they think and feel um and about themselves and and what has changed you know like um what has shifted in their eating and so well it was it was a Quite a shock that
2: I accompanied you to the dietician that time to find the level of self-loathing and the um, level of psychological dysfunction that was happening in your head as, mm. as when this was going on. Mm. And that broke my heart. Oh, mom.
1: <laughs> well, thank you for coming along for the ride and being my biggest advocate ever since. You're the best. I love you. Love you.